You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Mary's Family Drama, recorded on April 21st, 2019. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, welcome to Harvest this Easter weekend. Hope everyone's well. My name is Mike. Thank you for your first-time guest for coming. We hope to see you again. Um, Harvest, um, at Harvest, we work to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. And it's very exciting to think that, that God has expanded um, His ministry among us so that there are six different Easter services this weekend in four locations, including one in Freeport on Sunday night. But it goes even farther because this weekend we're excited to know that um, there is another uh, congregation beginning up, Redemption Church in Lower Borough, which uh, has as its core about 40 uh, of our own folks from Harvest that have launched out and some other folks from other churches. And so that's exciting. They're launching their public service uh, this weekend. And we're also excited to know that um, another church that we think will bring health called Vintage is opening two campuses on Easter, one in Moon Township and one near Station Square. So that's exciting to know that three different places that uh, before this week didn't have a healthy church uh, in those spots. I mean, there might have been other healthy churches, but there's three new healthy churches for folks to go to. So um, that's exciting. That we get excited about that. I hope you're praying for those three churches. Yeah, that's worth cheering about. As Christians, we um, we're concerned about the origin of life. People normally think when we talk about the origin of life, we're talking about evolution or the Big Bang, and all those things are interesting to talk about and worth pursuing. But that's not the origin of life. Um, that uh, really concerns us that much. You know, the real origin of life for Christians begins in a grave. Uh, because, uh, because this Easter Sunday is the day a human being, a son of Adam and also a son of God himself, actually beat the grave and began a new life form, if you will, called the glorified human who lives forever. So in a sense, we're all pre-embryonic <laughs> as Christians. We, we are looking forward to sharing that very day. Easter uh, has a lot of profound meanings to us as Christians, and including the very beginning, the very origin of life. Um, not r- arising from the primordial sludge, but arising from a grave where there should be decay. Instead, there is life. We're going to be reading in John chapter 20, a familiar text on, on the resurrection. So um, if you have a Bible and, and open, that's where we'll be. If not, just pay attention because the Word of God is going to be read. Ready? 20, verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, and I'm just going to stop there, first day of the week for, for the Jews was uh, Sunday. Uh, Saturday being the 7th or the Sabbath. So this is a Sunday. And Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is, uh, there's a lot of, she comes into a lot of stories and movies and myths, but um, uh, we really know very little about Mary Magdalene's past. Some people think she was a prostitute or something, but there's no evidence of that. 
We only know one thing about Mary Magdalene before she came to know Christ, and that is that she had seven demons. So what we do know is she was a tormented woman. And when she met Jesus, he set her free. And, and that's what God does when he walks the earth. He sets people free. And Mary, out of love and devote, who would not love the person who set her free from seven demons? I don't know what kind of mental and emotional torment that is. I do not know how that explodes you, you, your life and the social fabric of your own family to have seven demons. I'm certain if you have seven demons, you do not behave well. <laughs> and I'm certain you do not feel good. And I'm certain all your family is in, in, in turmoil and sadness and sorrow and stress because of you. And Jesus freed her from seven demons. And then as he walked through Israel, doing his ministry for three years, she followed him. We know that about her. She followed him, and she watched him set other people free, and she listened to him. And she even, she, she seems to be a woman of some means because she paid for him. Um, Jesus wasn't making an income during those three years, nor were his apostles, and she was one of the people bankrolling him. And she followed him on his final trip to Jerusalem, uh, when he rode in on Palm Sunday, and, and she was probably excited to see the children and other people saying, Hosanna, here is the king, and she followed him. The, the scripture tells us as he went to the cross, the women, the, the, all the males, the, men, the apostles took off because they were afraid they were going to get killed. But the women stayed close, and Mary followed Jesus all the way to the cross. And then she saw where he was buried, and so she, in a way, followed him to the grave. She still loves him, still honors him to the very end. She's not sure that he was taken care of uh, in his death. So she shows up on Sunday morning, not Saturday. That would be a day of rest. He was buried on a Friday. So she's going to show up on a Sunday morning and take care of his body. And she is the central figure of our text today. So Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. The stone was covering it. It'd be like walking up to see a grave and it's, it's already opened for you. Um, but she also <laughs> saw another problem that he wasn't inside. Dead bodies don't get up and move themselves, do they? My mother, probably like many mothers in here, was famous for saying when you look for something that was lost... It didn't just get up and walk away. And, and, and if you ever lost your shoes, you might be tempted to say something smart-alecky, like, yeah, Mom, it could have. They were shoes. <laughs> but in general, if something's not there, someone had to move it. And so she would never imagine that Jesus' body got up and walked away, which happens to be the truth, but that it was removed. So verse 2, she ran and went to Simon Peter being the leader of the apostles, and the other disciple, that person is the writer, John, in the Gospel of John, never mentions himself. He didn't say, hi, I'm John, I wrote this. He calls himself the other disciple, the beloved disciple, that sort of thing, referring to himself in the third person. And he is also one of the leaders of the group, Simon, James, and John were. So she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they laid him. Who are they? She doesn't know. 
He's just not there. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Peter and John went, went out to explore, um, and both of them were running together, but the other disciple, that'd be John, outran Peter. So forever in the Bible is recorded John pointing out that he can run faster than Peter. It's, it's good to be the writer. And he reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. So he, he's obviously faster, but he's not braver. Simon Peter came and he followed and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, John again, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. What did he believe? Um, The scripture isn't extremely clear, but apparently he believed that Jesus had gotten up and left because of the cloths. He obviously believed he wasn't there, but because he looked at the cloths, um, no one stealing a body would unwrap the body. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so he probably believed that Jesus had risen, but he didn't say anything to anyone as of yet. Verse 9, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. So they left, and Mary is like, he's gone. The apostles came, saw, and left. He's still gone. There's nothing logical to do except one Thing. She decides, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to cry. And, and crying is often the only logical you, thing you can do in the face of great tragedy or loss or difficulty. So she stands there and cries. Verse 11, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. And they said, woman... Why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. So these two angels, um, they look like humans. They look like human men, probably very impressive human men. Um, She doesn't seem to notice they're heavenly beings. They say, Why are you crying? They're engaging her in conversation. She answers the question and then moves along. Having said this, she left. She turned around and she saw Jesus standing. So Jesus... There's angels, ah, through the tears, they took my Lord, and she turned around, and there he is. So she should be very happy, but she doesn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? It's a two-pronged question that has the same answer, right? I'm weeping weeping because they took Jesus, I'm seeking Jesus. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. I love, as a personal note, the fact that she thought he was there to keep the garden. Showed up early Monday as a little wheelbarrow. (laughs) And uh, having a lot of family from California and having Mexican family, it's not unusual to see Mexican gardeners that say Jesus on their shirt. So, (laughs) So, wouldn't have been her experience, but I think of that every time I see that. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him and said to him in Aramaic, which the Jews would have, they spoke a lot of Aramaic to each other. They spoke Greek, because that's what the Romans said you had to speak. And they spoke Aramaic to each other as Jews, and obviously Hebrew. So she says, Rabboni, which means teacher. 
So there's a recognition. They see each other. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Was there other conversation at that point? We don't know, but I'd assume there was more than just these two sentences. Um, but the Bible writer just tells us what he knows or what he thinks we need to know. And the, the important part is Jesus gave her instructions. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. She did what he, what he said. He, 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 it's a beautiful story. There's a great irony there. She's sitting there crying for the one who's standing right in front of her. There's angels who've got to be better than Google for telling you what happened. <laughs> and she doesn't ask them. She's like, oh, I'm looking for the Lord. And she walks away, and there's the Lord. And she's like, I don't know who you are. And uh, it's a beautiful story. He kind of breaks the spell when he says her name. This is the story we believe. The risen Lord beat the grave. Life begins at the grave. Right? That's, that's how it works. The new life. Uh, the body they killed on the cross cannot be killed again. He died for the sins of the world, but he only does that one time. Then he gets up and his body is eternal. And he, he's, he's promising us a similar body, which we will have too. So this is the miracle. I want to make three observations regarding the text this weekend. Here they are. One. And if you're a note taker, there might even be a place to take notes in there. If you're not, that's okay. One, to follow Jesus is a relationship first, religion second kind of situation. (laughs) To follow Jesus is relationship first, religion second. Jesus says her name. They know each other. That's the point. Mary. She doesn't seem to know him, and we don't know if he had veiled the way he looked, because apparently he could supernaturally do that, kind of hide his glory. We don't know it's because her eyes are filled with tears, and her mascara was running. She couldn't see him. But when he said her name, Mary, he knows her, and she knows him. This reminds me of John, the 10th chapter, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And he says this, I want to read it to you from chapter 10, verse 3 and 4. He says, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. The relationship with God through Christ is is individual. God values the individual and learns our names and uses our names, and the way he calls us is he calls us by name. When he, so there he is with Mary. He says, Mary. She says, oh yeah, it's you. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him and they know his voice. So there's this picture that the way Jesus leads people is by his voice. Anyone who has converted to Christ, and that's probably most of the people hearing me say this, if they thought back, they, can, they could get this, right? They could explain in these terms of a shepherd Before they knew him, it was just religion to them. It was a religion they might have identified with, or a religion that they participated in, or a religion that they were far off from. But when they met Jesus, it was as if God knew him or her. Correct? 
Amen? If you heard the name, have you, did you feel all of a sudden like he called your name? You'd never heard his voice before, but now you know, I know who that is. If I meet a stranger on the street and he calls my name, I'm not going to know that person until we get together and talk a little more. But Jesus is like, the first time you hear his voice, it's like, wait, I, I know you. Why? Because he's the creator God. Many people consider Christianity a religion, and I guess it is. It has many religious forms. It's been around for centuries. It has all the things religions have, traditions and buildings and prayers and incense and priesthoods and all that business. But for many, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. What do I mean? Well, if you're like me, I didn't meet Jesus in church. I was taken to church. That's what parents are for, I guess. Once in a while, not often. I didn't meet him there. I met him on a playground. And you might say, well, that's pretty freaky. It'd be freaky if he was actually standing on the playground, yes. But it was some lady I didn't even know. And she told me the truth of the gospel. Maybe I met her, or maybe it was... I actually didn't give my life to Christ then. But something told me, yeah, that's him. And then when I was 19, I said, okay, I'm coming. Whatever you want. And then I started going... To the religious part, you could say. Other people, they go to church. Then go to church of all different varieties for years. And there's people in this room, in any room that's hearing my voice, in any campus, who can tell you they had the experience of going to church for so many years and not knowing Jesus. And then all of a sudden, they did. So you can get to know them outside of church. You can get to know them in church but you can't mistake him for church. That's why it's a relationship, not a religion. Look at it this way. Mary was a Jew. They're all Jews in the Bible, in the New Testament, all Jesus' people. At that moment, what do you think is most important to her? Her Judaism or the relationship she had with the man she was looking for? Right? She'd have thrown over anything for the man. She wasn't saying, you need to fit into my theological situation here. To be saved is to know Jesus. There's people running all over this globe claiming that they met a guy who's not here. Just like Mary did. Mary ran to the apostles and said, I saw him. And today there's people running around saying, I saw him. Not with my eyes. I heard him. And they're testifying. It ain't the religion part. It's the, I, I met him. Right here in this room that's hearing my voice. I say it because it's being heard in several locations. Everyone in the room can be separated into two kinds of people. Two categories. Those who have heard his voice and know him like Mary, and those who haven't. But any person from either group could have gone to church their whole life. So there's a separation. How about you? Have you met Christ? Or is church a religion? You might say, wait, are you telling me I could practice a Christian religion? Or let's not say you. Are you telling me that anyone can practice a Christian religion and not know Jesus personally. I'm telling you people can be the pastor of a Christian church and not know Jesus personally. 
I'm telling you, there are going to be priests and ministers and reverends and holy, exalted whatevers wearing robes. And I'm telling you, yeah, you can go to church your whole life, a Christian church, and not know Jesus. How do I know that? Well, because not just experience, though I, you do experience that, but Jesus said so. Matthew seven twenty one, he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will... And that day is judgment day. The big day. The big day for everybody. It is appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. There is a God. He did make us. We do have a purpose. He will call us up at the end of all things and say, let's, let's talk about your life. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy or teach in your name? Do we not cast out demons in your name? Do mighty works in your name? So there are people who would call themselves Christians. Do we not get confirmed in your name? Get Holy Communion in your name? Go to Sunday school in your name? Go to VBS in your name? And I will declare to them, look what he says, I never knew you. He doesn't say, you didn't perform well enough. He says, you and me have never met. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, God doesn't want religious people, and he's not impressed with religion. He made human beings. There's nothing we can invent. There's no ritual we can come up with. No incense that smells so good. No prayers that are so devout. No candles we can light. No Sunday school schedule we can keep. All these things we invent that he goes, wow, you're awesome. Got to let you into heaven. He only lets in people he knows personally and who know him personally. What about you? Before I met Jesus, I had some religion. The lady who told me about the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, that he died for my sins and I could have them all forgiven, I asked her, but I'm a Catholic. I said, would I still be? What does that make me? Now, you could, it doesn't have to be Catholic. You know, I could say, but I'm a Methodist, but I'm a Lutheran, but I'm an Episcopalian. See, I had a religion, but I hadn't met him yet. Once I heard him call my name and turn and followed him, till then I was relying on the wrong thing. What about you? Are you relying on the wrong thing? Do you rely on your religion? Perhaps the religion of your family? Or have you met him? Second observation I want to make about this text is Jesus points Mary and the apostles to the ascension. That's another event. The cross, crucifixion. That's an event. It happened in time. And then there's the resurrection. It's an event. It happened in a moment. Well, there's something called an ascension, which no one has ever done but Jesus, where he takes a glorified body up into heaven. So, we don't know what the scene was like because we don't get a lot of details. All we get is a couple of sentences. But I'm figuring Mary grabbed hold of her Savior. She's probably a hugger. You know, some ladies, they're just huggers. They just make you feel good and warm. And they're, 
I'm thinking she's got hold of him because he says, don't cling to me, woman. <laughs> so, now, if you're a woman who's not a hugger, that's okay. You do be the way God made you. But I think Mary was grabbing hold of him and said, oh, it's so good to see you again. She probably was planning out the next camping trip, you know. <laughs> We're going to go out and heal some folks and camp and what not. And he's like, woman, don't cling to me. I don't think he minded her touching him. But he wanted not to point backwards to the resurrection, the cross, or the ministry that happened before. He wants her to look forward to another event that's going to happen. Verse 17, one more time. Jesus said, don't cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. But I go to my but go to my brothers. Say to them, I am ascending to the Father, to my Father and your Father, my God, your God. So her message, she went and says, I've seen the Lord. She probably told all the details. I went into the tomb. There were two dudes. I didn't notice they were angels, but they were kind of bright. And, and they said, you know, then I came back out. I thought he was a gardener. He wasn't the gardener. It was the Lord. And we chit-chatted. And I was hugging him. And he said, come here. And I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you I saw him. But that wasn't the message he was supposed to bring. The message he was supposed to bring was, gentlemen, the Lord says he's going to be leaving. He's given his travel itinerary. He's, he's going to be flying back to the Father in heaven. That's where he points her attention to the next miracle. Jesus tells us in the Gospels that he's not from earth like humans. He says, all you people are from the earth. I come from heaven. No one has a pre-existing soul. No one has a soul that reincarnates. There are not souls up floating around waiting to be born in human bodies as some teach. All that is wrong. Jesus teaches, he says it right out, you come from the earth. Earthlings do what earthlings do, and bammo, there you are. But he, his Father's the Holy Spirit, comes from heaven. He existed forever with the Father. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. He was always in heaven. He took on a body, and now he's saying, I came with my body, and I did what I was sent to do. I was sent to teach. I was sent to heal, to declare the good news of the kingdom, and then I was sent to buy sinners with my blood as currency, to die, to pay the punishment for sin, and do a magical thing that can make sinners into righteous, eternal humans. And I did it. I'm done. So what he's saying is his trip to earth, often called the incarnation, He doesn't call it that, but it's called that. Carne, meat. God in meat. God in his meat suit. Incarnation. That was just a business trip. It's a work trip, and he didn't have to save the receipts. But he he was going home. I was just here on a work trip. I had temporary housing. And I traveled light. I didn't have to save up a bunch of money. First, because he owns everything. (laughs) But second, he ain't taking it with him. Just a work trip. He's an alien. What was his work? One time, he said he was going to die on a cross. And his boy Peter 
doesn't want the party to end. He says, no, 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 it's beneath you to die on a cross. He looks at Peter and says, you know, you're speaking like my enemy, the devil. Do you not know it's for this reason I came? His work was to die on a cross. The whole world has no idea what to do with that. There's no religion that has anything like that. Where the atonement for the sins of the followers is paid by the God. Not the followers. All the really intelligent people say, what kind of a bloodthirsty system is this? It's the system. He's going back to heaven. So he raised up in a new body, and he's going back to heaven. What does that do to his followers? They're sitting there going, he's dead. Now, if they find out he's alive, they're figuring things just go back to the way they were a few weeks ago. But this changes everything. He says, I'm going back to heaven. They're going to say, well, what do we do? Just wait here then? The answer is pretty much yes. (laughs) But he's not going to leave us alone. In John 14, the night that he was arrested, he told them, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper. That's the Holy Spirit of God. God is one God, three persons, the Holy Spirit. He will be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. To know the Holy Spirit is to know God. To know Jesus is to know the Holy Spirit. Same problem. You cannot access the Spirit of God if you don't have a relationship with him, if he doesn't know your name. The world will not see him because they don't know him. Just like they don't know me, Jesus could have said, but he didn't. He said, you know him because he dwells with you, but he will be inside you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. And then again, he says in John 16, but now I'm going to him who sent me. He's a sent one, sent from heaven. It's important we get this because this is the story he tells. It's one of movement. He starts in heaven, comes to earth, goes to the cross, goes to the grave, gets up, leaves, and he's coming back. That's the story. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't, the helper won't come to you, but if I go, I'll send him. He's saying, you will be better off after I go to the cross, pay for your sins and resurrect and go back to heaven, because then you're going to be able to receive the Holy Spirit of God in a way Human beings have never been able to. You will be, we've had faithful followers of God for centuries who have not experienced the Spirit like you will. He will indwell each one of you just like you're all the most important person in the world. Because you are, I guess, to him. Mary was like, let me hang on to you. He goes, nope, I got a better plan. Now he doesn't stop there. He's going to come back and get us. He's going to come back. He says in John 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, what I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you, if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So the plan is, he's going to ascend, and he did 40 days later, and that's where he is now, and Mary is in the in-between time. The time between his ascension and his return. And guess what? So are we. He is coming back. He is coming back as certain as the sun's coming up tomorrow. He's coming back. And when he does, 
His plan for his followers is to resurrect them in a body like his and give them a home forever. Life begins for us at the grave. That's the origin of life. His grave. Our graves are just temporary for our bodies. Souls go to be with him, but our bodies one day will get up. So we've joined Mary in the in-between time. And if you're a believer in Christ, if you've met him, then the Holy Spirit is with you. And perhaps we should live like people who think we too are now aliens on this earth. Since our origin is not here anymore, it was, but now we have an origin from heaven. Maybe we don't have to have as much stuff here because we're just passing through. Maybe we should live with a kind of purpose as people who know that no matter what happens here, that ain't the end of the story. It's hardly even the beginning. Third observation I want to make is the resurrection of Jesus makes Mary and the apostles family, kin. When I moved to Alabama as a kid, everyone asked me who my kin was. Never heard anyone use the word kin so much, but if you go down to Alabama, they say kinfolk kin. Mary and the apostles became kin with one another and God. Jesus raising from the dead enables a more profound family than any family on earth, including yours. You become a family member of God. Jesus said once more in 17, don't cling to me. I have not yet ascended. I'm just here for now. I ain't staying, baby. (laughs) Tell my boys. But go to my... What's he say? I haven't ascended to the Father. He called God Father before, by the way, when he was walking before the cross. And what would ha- no one else called God Father. The apostles weren't running around calling God their Father. The, the Pharisees, the teachers of the Jews, didn't call God Father. To call God Father was blasphemous. It was too personal. God is holy. You have no right to say that. You're making yourself self-important. To this day, if you were to go to to Jerusalem where the temple used to be. It's not there, but instead there's this shrine called the Dome of the Rock. And if you could read what's on the, written on the inside of the shrine of the Dome of the Rock, you would read these words, God has no son. Islam shouts out that you cannot be a child of God. It's blasphemous to say so. And, and the Jews at that time, would have been pretty close to agreeing with Islam. (laughs) On that one point, nothing else. There was no Islam back then. But they thought Jesus was a blasphemer because he said God was his father. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to throw stones at him for blaspheming. No one called God his father. But here he says, I'm going to the father. And then he goes, go to my brothers. Well, Mary had children. He's not talking about them. He's talking about the apostles. And say to them, I'm ascending to my father. Look what he adds. And your father. Something changed through the cross and the resurrection. A human being who came from the dirt could now be kinfolk to the spiritual God. Kin. I'm going to my father, I'm going to your father. 
And just in case you don't know who I'm talking about, I'm going to my God and I'm going to your God. He has a way of equalizing us, bringing the Son of God comes down and he's much greater than us because he's God, he's without sin. We are not God, we're human and we have plenty of sin, but he's washed us clean by the blood on the cross and now he says, now that that's done, you have a whole new range of possibilities as a human being. Now, I'm going to pull you up to where I am. You can have a resurrected body like mine, and you can have God as a father like I do. Now, that may be just too much good news to comprehend. I cannot comprehend it. I was sitting there thinking about it before I came up here and thought how frightening it is to think about God loving me for eternity. But then I figured, if he can make me feel pretty peaceful with right now, he'll make me feel peaceful with eternity. But it's hard to imagine God as father. The transfer of souls from this world that, as Jim Morrison said, no one gets out alive. We just all go to the grave and become food for worms. And then we're risen up to be judged for our sins, which is not heaven. (laughs) To go be transferred from that into having a soul that's family with the Holy One. The resurrection made that possible Because he lives, I live. Because he lives, you live. There's a mystery that I cannot explain, but I can tell you about it. But I can't explain it. And that is that when you meet Christ, your life is gone and you get new life. That's why I can't explain it. I don't know the mechanics of that, but I know it's true. Look what it says in Colossians 3. For you have died. How can I be dead? I don't know, but spiritually... You're gone, washed away, and your life is hidden. Where is it? It's with Christ in God. And then it says this, when Christ who is your life, my life is Christ's life now. I'm dead, Christ's alive in me. Then you will appear with him in glory. (laughs) So that's that future event. Easter is not a sitting still kind of moment. It's not even a looking back kind of moment. It's a looking forward kind of moment. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. That's a promise. Either it's true or it ain't. Either the Bible's true or it's a lie. But if it's true, (laughs) that's good news. And it is true. Jesus is my life. He's the Son of God. And now we're family. We're kin. We're kinfolk. I'm loyal to my kinfolk. I, re- I really am, and probably most of you are too. Right? I got a certain standard for people who have the same genetic relationship, right? I mean, that's different from my standard to other humans. It's natural to love your family with more loyalty. <laughs> my brothers are all married now. It was a time when that wasn't true. They marry a woman. She takes their name. She's my kin. (laughs) It don't matter how we related before, but now she gets special treatment from me because she's kin. (laughs) And her kids are my kin. It's just the way it's supposed to be, right? Well, God is more loyal. And I'm his kid. And so are you if you know him.
You might say, well, what if I know him, but I'm not his kid? I'm like a neighbor. <laughs> well, you don't, because I'm a little afraid of him. I'd rather just be a neighbor that he's good to. No, it's either you're his kid or you don't know him. He doesn't have a third relationship status. I'm not as bad as Hitler, but I'm all right, but I'm not his kid. I'll take the third status. It's not there. And though I don't understand it, we're brothers and sisters, so you're kin to me. It's a lot of kin. I can't keep up with your birthdays, so forget about that. I mean, <laughs> but I know this. And if you haven't met Jesus yet, your demons are still with you. If you haven't met Jesus yet, your sins are still on you. If you haven't met Jesus yet, you're not kin. It's like I wasn't once. You're not family of God. And when he returns, you will not be happy to see him. Because it's appointed to man once to die, and then the judgment. One time you get to die. That's what the Bible says. You do not get to come back again and again and again with a recycled soul. Some other people believe that. You should respect it. I respect them. I don't respect that belief. Heck, it doesn't even make any sense. There's 7 billion people here. There's a lot more souls than there were back when that kind of idea was invented. Here, It's appointed to you once to die. And then the judgment. And since we're all sinners, you will not stand well in the judgment. But why would you want to? Here's the truth. The historical man, Jesus Christ, came to this earth to show you who God was. To show you what he's like. And to save your soul. To invite you into the family. Not through religion. You're not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying you got to be the perfect church member. Through meeting him. You say, well, I could be an awful person. Do you think Mary with seven demons was a sweetheart? Could you imagine if she was your fourth grade teacher? Teacher stole our lunch again. And she poked me in the eye. (laughs) She's got demons, honey. (laughs) Nope. What I'm saying is you could be hearing my voice right now. And it's not my voice. It's not going in your ear. Another voice is talking to you. It's not me. And he's not saying what I'm saying. He's saying your name. And he's saying you were always mine. Why don't you leave your sin and follow me? Look at this promise from the Bible. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing 
his riches on who? All who call on him. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus is not a dead Savior. He's a risen Savior. He's an ascended Savior. He is God. And he is saying to you, you can be saved. You must call on him. He will not turn you away. He will be found by everyone who wants to find him. Mary wanted to find him. She found him. He made it easy. Turn around. There he is. He will not be found by those who want, prefer religion. It gets very personal. You might depend on your religion. You might be hearing my voice saying, I could run back and talk to my mom and go to church with her because they never get this personal. I just have to go to church, eat the wafer. Don't do that. It's scary to meet the personal God, but it's good. I want to give you a chance to call on him right now. Nobody moving, including musicians, in any campus, every eye closed, except mine, (laughs) heads bowed. If you want to pray and call on the name of the Lord today, this this day, raise your hand. Now, they've all closed their eyes. I see one. Anyone else? I see four or five. Keep it up for a minute, just so I see you. No one else is looking but me. Six, seven, eight. At all the campuses. Nine. Okay. Ten. If you put your, go ahead and put them down. And if you would say, I was about to raise it. It's okay. I just wanted you to do that as a way of responding. God, if God sees you if you meant to. I want to lead you in a simple prayer. And you're talking to him. So if these words work for you. You say these to God. God, I hear you calling my name. I believe, Jesus, that you came to earth to save. That you raised from the dead and you're coming again. Now say this to him in your heart. Will you please include me? Will you please save me? I will follow you like Mary. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.